Welcome to December, everybody. Did you enjoy that little taste of winter weather we just got? When I woke up yesterday morning, our back deck had this thin little layer of ice on it. And so when I woke up Jude that morning, I just said, hey, buddy, come on. Come look out the window. We got Texas snow. <laughs> of course, he didn't believe me. And then when he saw it, he wasn't real happy with me either. Um, and I said, buddy, you know, everything is bigger in Texas except, of course, for snowmen. Am I telling the truth, somebody? <laughs> Well, I'm glad you have joined us tonight for Wednesdays Together, our midweek Bible study. And as we're wrapping up a month of gratitude and we're moving into the Christmas season, I want to help us find ways to focus on the goodness of God, even when life may not feel so good. I'd like to start by reading from Psalm 145, verse 5. It says, I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Tonight, I'm going to speak to you briefly on the topic of awe and wonder. There's a powerful lesson in this short yet spectacular verse. The greatness of God, his glory, and his majesty, they are so much bigger than we could ever fathom. And we need to focus on these things. We need to think about them. We need to pray over them. We need to meditate on God's goodness and watch that spirit transform our souls, our lives, our spirits. And I'd like to talk about really a, a prevalent spirit of our day. It's a mood that has become so pervasive that it's taken over so many Christians. And that is the spirit of cynicism. That word just sounds so harsh, right? I mean, who wants to be known as a cynic? Who wants to be known as someone who is fault-finding and negative and critical? And did I just say that that spirit has overtaken so many Christians? Well, unfortunately, I did say that. But the good news is knowledge is power. What I mean by that is you can't fix something that you, if you don't know that it's broken, right? And so when we figure out there's a problem, that helps put us on the right road to overcoming the situation. So tonight, I'd like to just take a, take a laser focus into how insidiously cynicism creeps in to our souls and our spirits. You see, the challenge is that when we become cynical, we lose our sense of awe and wonder, even about the things of God. It's the cyclical effect, right? It's like you're on this train and you can't get off. It's like you're driving round and round and round in a traffic circle and there's no exit ramp, okay? You see, we get dejected and we get beaten down by life events. We become jaded and we become cold. And this not only affects our relationship with people, because you can think, well, I'm not going to trust you. I'm not going to trust you. I'm, I'm going to just be closed off to myself. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't just stop with people. 
But it also affects our relationship with God because we lose the sense of hope. You see, we don't want to be disappointed, so we decide to lower our expectations. Little by little, we buy into this false narrative that everything is against us. And every step we take on that road of thinking, it brings us closer and closer and closer to despair. Because it doesn't matter how good things are, we can't see the good. We can only see the bad. And so to frame this study tonight, I'd like for us to reflect upon a powerful question. And that question is, how do you find God in the midst of life's greatest challenges? I'll ask that again. How do you find God when you're facing the greatest challenges of your life? You see, the answer to that question It can serve as a litmus test for whether or not I am cynical. What do I mean by that? Well, when struggles come, what's my auto response? What's what's the thing in my head that I automatically go to? Do I think, Lord, I know you're going to get me through this. I know we're going to make it. Or do I think, well, that's just great. I should have known better than to think that my life was going to be happy or that things were going to work out well for me. You know, that, that's, that's a pretty good indicator of where you fall on this spectrum. Here's another thing to ponder. I wonder if you ever find yourself making any of the following statements. Well, I knew that was too good to be true. Nobody is that good. I'm sure they have something to hide. Well, that's what I get for trusting somebody. People can be so fake. Well, that's what they say, but I'll believe it when I see it. Those are some pretty hard <laughs> those are some pretty hard things to think about. And if we find ourselves thinking those thoughts, that's a pretty it's a pretty telling story that that we are cynical or we are definitely on the road to becoming a cynic. And you know, nobody sets out to be cynical. Nobody thinks, oh, that's my goal in life. I want to be jaded, I want to be cold, I want to be distant, I don't want to trust anybody. No. I don't know anybody who that's their life goal. That's what they start out as. But when we get in the middle of life and things happen, we lose hope sometimes. We allow negative circumstances to steal our spark, to make us cynical and to feel dejected. And here's something that you you may not have thought of it this way, but cynicism starts not because you don't care, Cynicism usually starts because you do care, right? I mean, that's the truth of the matter. You really loved him, and then he broke your heart. And so you thought, okay, I'm going to try again. I'm going to try this thing again. So you loved again, and another guy broke your heart. So it's easy to see why you're not going to put yourself out there again. You really cared about your career, But no one seemed to care back or value your input or appreciate you. So now you don't even care anymore either. How did you wake up one morning as a Christian? How did you wake up one morning and just not care anymore and just be cold and closed off from your feelings and from everybody around you? Why is it that as a Christian, my heart can begin to shrink Well, 
Often it's because it seems like you've seen it all. <laughs> okay. Why, if you think of it from this perspective, why were we so happy when we were young? Why were we just um, innocent and uh, we just enjoyed life and things were good? Well, one way you could think of it is that it's because we didn't really know anything. <laughs> a lot of us, maybe we were sheltered from a lot of the bad experiences. Maybe when you were a child, you said, I'm going to fall in love and have the best family in the world, or I'm going to be the best mom, or I'm going to be the best dad, or I'm going to be the president of the United States one day, or I'm going to start my own company, and it's going to be amazing. You see, we had all of these dreams because our heart was big and wide and it was open. But what happens is as hurts come, our hearts become more closed. When we don't surrender those hurts to God, we close off. We close off. We close off. And so what happens over time, you accumulate experiences. You accumulate knowledge, some good and some bad. But if we don't surrender all that over to God, we accumulate experiences and we accumulate knowledge, but not wisdom. But not wisdom. The more we know, often the more frustrated we become. Because many times we think we know it all. <laughs> but when we fall flat on our faces... It's a rude awakening that we really didn't know as much as we thought. We really weren't as wise as we thought we were. Can I get a witness, somebody? If, if you've ever fallen flat on your face, why don't you just tell your neighbor, that's me? Why don't you type it in the chat? She's talking to me. Um, if, if we're all honest, if we're not fake Christians, that should be every one of us, I would imagine. <laughs> now, the good and the bad news is that you're not the first person to become jaded. Well, why is that good? How can that be good news? Because it lets us see there is a way out. Somebody say that. There's a way out. Amen. You see, when we focus only on what we see and what we know, we can become bitter. But there is a way out. I want to read a passage to you from Ecclesiastes chapter 1 starting with verse 2, it says, Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? I'm going to skip down to verse 8. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. Wow, it, it sounds like maybe Eeyore wrote this passage in the Bible. This is a great example of the fact that not everything in the Bible is prescriptive, as in not everything in the Bible should you do, right? This is not an attitude that we should be walking in. But King Solomon, who had all the riches and all the knowledge, and he had all of all of this, and he prayed for wisdom, but in the end, in the end, it overtook him because all that he knew made him more cynical and more jaded, as you can read right here. Uh, <laughs> he was not very inspiring or motivational here, was he? When he's emphasizing, the more I understand, the sadder I get. But, you know, I, I would reframe that and I would humbly say, I believe the Lord wants us to reframe that. 
Um, because I don't think the problem is so much with knowledge, right? I don't think it's learning more. I don't think that the goal is just not to learn anything or just not to have any experiences. No, I think it's what you do with the knowledge you have. It's what you do with failed expectations. And if we allow failed expectations to make the blueprint for the rest of our lives, then the next thing you know, cynicism takes root and cynicism snuffs out hope. And what happens is you start projecting past failure onto future situations. You view life from the baseline of, well, how is this going to end? Or, okay, what's about to go wrong? You're, you're looking for the negative before, before the bad even has an opportunity to come. You're just going to set yourself up so that you're not going to be disappointed. You're just going to set that bar so low. And then to protect yourself, you hold back your heart. In essence, what happens is you become what psychology calls a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because you put your expectations so low, you don't ever aspire to anything greater than that. And so then that's the level that you live. That's the level where you live because you live beneath your privilege. I've been there before. I've lived beneath my privilege in Christ because I have held my heart back. I've remained detached and separated from others, especially from others in the body of Christ. Because we feel like, especially when we've been hurt, we feel like it's just not worth it to put yourself out there. And my friends, that is how cynicism starts. Honestly, there have been times in my own life that I closed my heart off because of the hurt. You know, I thought, oh, I'm fine. I don't need people. I don't need friends. I'm good. I'm good. I just, I just have the Lord. That's all I need. But I promise you, I can speak to you from experience. I promise you that when you start closing off parts of your heart, it's like a snowball effect. It really is. It seems small, but then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and it grows beyond your control. And if you let it, the hurt of your past pronounces a death sentence on your future. If you let it, the hurt of your past pronounces a death sentence on your future. And that my friends, that is exactly where some of us are living right now, right now in this moment. Maybe you have a lot of things that have not gone well in your life. So you just stop hoping. You stop trusting. You stop believing. You declare that you're not going there anymore. You're going to keep that part of your heart closed off. You're just going to leave it all alone. You're going to walk away. Now, I don't want anyone to misunderstand me. I am all for being emotionally healthy. Why don't you tell your neighbor, be emotionally healthy. <laughs> Why don't you put that in the chat? I want to be emotionally healthy. Okay, I'm all for that. I promise you I am. I'm all for getting out of toxic situations and setting healthy boundaries for yourself. So please don't misunderstand me. But I also don't want you to mistake hardened walls of your heart for healthy boundaries. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. A healthy boundary says, I will trust. I will have my heart open. I will believe. I will hope again. But here is a limit. 
when you have abused that trust, I can still love you, but, but I'm only going to go this far. That's a healthy boundary. An unhealthy boundary, an, an unhealthy hardening of the heart is this false face, <laughs> this mask, this facade that we put on for people. It's when we're plastic Christians and we pretend like we are having real relationships and our heart's a million miles away because we have determined in our hearts that we're never going to trust again. We're never going to love again. We're never going to hope again because we are not going to allow ourselves to be hurt again. I know there are people under the sound of my voice tonight who know exactly what I'm talking about. I know you've made those promises to yourself, and I want you to know that's not a promise that you need to make. That's not a promise that God has for you. The only promise you need to make is to say, God, I will always surrender my hurts to you, and I will trust you to take care of my heart because he has our best interests in mind. Why don't we thank him for that right now? God, I thank you. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy in this place right now. You see, sometimes what we think is healthy, sometimes it's just my attempt to not feel anything at all. But there's a huge problem in that because when you close your heart to people, you also close your heart to God. When you close your heart to people, you also close your heart to God. It's not like you're just closing this one small compartment, but when you close your heart, think of it, think of it just like you're as a natural muscle. If you don't use something, it atrophies, right? It shrinks up, it dies. If we don't walk in that love, that love of Christ, then it just shrivels up. It just, we, we just lose that in our lives. And maybe, maybe that's where you find yourself right now. Maybe you're closing your heart to your family, to your kids, or to people around you. Maybe you've done this for a period of time, and, and now your heart is closed to God, and you can't even remember the last time you felt something because you purposed in your heart that you were not going to feel anything anymore. And God says, <laughs> I'm right here. I want to get into your heart, but you've got this impenetrable wall that God cannot tear down because if you don't let him in, if you don't let him in, he can't force, he will not force his, his self into your heart. And so you grow even more isolated and you grow even more alone. And the end result is that you decide to, you decide to stop trusting to stop believing, to stop hoping. You know, 2020 has been incredibly difficult. And folks, it looks like December may bring its own challenges as well. Uh, we, we would not expect any less of this year, right? But we can't become people who just assume the worst, who just assume that the worst is going to happen, or, or just who, who assume the worst about others. We can't become the people who believe that life is out to get us. Folks, that is simply not the case because God is for you even in your toughest times. In fact, you can find his presence probably the strongest in your life when you're facing those deepest struggles. You see, here's the reality. Life doesn't make you cynical. Life doesn't make me cynical. 
I choose to be cynical. I know it hurts to hear that. I know that's not what you want to hear. And I know some of you are thinking, but you don't know what I've been through. No, I don't. Some of you, I do know what you've been through. Some of you, I don't. And you don't know what I've been through. (laughs) And so I'm speaking from personal experience. Nothing that happens to me is greater than the love of God that is in me. And so I can choose to become cynical if I elevate those things above the love of God in my life. Life may give you some things you don't want. Am I speaking the truth? Anybody? (laughs) Life may give you some things that you never bargained for. But your decision to keep your heart closed to stop trusting, to stop hoping. That's your decision. That is a choice. And we must, we absolutely must find ways to get back to the wonder and the awe of who God is. So my dear brothers and sisters, what can we do? What is the antidote. And I would tell you right now, I have a fabulous answer for you. The antidote to cynicism is the gospel. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, it's the gospel. Why don't you type it in the chat? I'm thankful for the gospel. You see, cynicism melts under the relentless hope of the gospel. The good news that Jesus came, that's what brings hope. You see, life is tough, but Jesus, he brings peace. The cross ushers in our salvation. We have the promise of the resurrection, certainly in eternity, but even here on earth, we have the promise of resurrected hopes and dreams we can love again, and our hopes and our dreams can be resurrected in him. Is anybody grateful for that? I am so grateful for God's restorative power here on earth right now in, inter- in, in eternity. I'm so grateful for what he has. And it all comes down to the message of the gospel. You see, where everybody else sees death, God sees life. Where everybody else sees frustration, God sees hope. And where everybody else sees cynicism, God sees trust. The gospel empowers us to hope again, to trust again, to believe again. And you see, I have a decision to make. As a believer, as a child of God, I have an important life-changing decision to make. I can hold on to every one of these reasons for me to be cynical, or I can grasp for hope and for trust, and I can choose to believe again. Like the Apostle Paul is calling the church in Ephesus to do. I'd like to close with a passage from Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. It says, Ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. 
his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of our God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Folks, right now your life might feel too difficult to be optimistic. I understand. I'm not trying I'm not trying to trivialize that. I'm not trying to marginalize your your situation. Right now, life might feel too tough to be optimistic. But by all means, then I want to call you to think about the confident hope he has given us. His rich and glorious inheritance. I want you to stop scrolling and turn off the TV. Get out of the headlines, get in the word, put on some worship music, let a sweet aroma of worship rise up in your home, let it rise up in your car, let God restore your hope. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, that power that turned death into life, it's at work in you. That's our promise. We see that in scripture. It's a confident belief that God is who he said he is. Come on, somebody. God is who he says he is. You see, we overcome cynicism through prayer and through praise. We become grateful for all he has done in our life. We trust in him to complete the work he started in us. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, that's your promise. If he started the work in you, he's going to finish it. Why don't you tell somebody he's going to finish it? He's going to finish that good work in me. And so here is a challenge for you this week. I'm going to give you permission to do something, okay? (laughs) Why don't you stop trying to have all the answers. Isn't it exhausting trying to have all the answers in life anyway? You see, the cynic knows everything. The cynic knows how everything's going to end. The cynic knows it's not even worth trying because they have an answer to everything. So instead, why don't you try opening your heart and your mind? Try to find ways to learn from others and to learn from your situation. Right now, It may seem like life is short on answers and long on problems. But what an incredible opportunity we have right now in this moment to stop trying to find all the answers and to trust God with the things you simply can't figure out. What an opportunity we have. Instead of giving everyone an answer, why don't you ask a question? Why don't you start saying, God, how does this apply to me? God, what are you trying to teach me in this situation? God, how are you trying to stretch me and grow me? God, what is my part in this? God, how can I get better and stronger? Why don't you find ways to grow? Even in this season, in this time of isolation, why don't you be open to new friendships? Why don't you take up a hobby that will get your mind off of your stress? Why don't you stop being sarcastic? Well, I may have lost some of you right there, but I'm sorry to tell you, sarcasm is not a spiritual gift. It's just not. Uh, It's usually not even that funny because many times, most times, 
when we use sarcasm, it's at somebody else's expense. Even if it's at your own expense, that's, that's not cool because that's tearing somebody down, even if it's you. Why don't you stop with all of that? Why don't you ask God to help you feel alive in him? Because the more I align my life with the power of the gospel, then I find life in the face of struggles and frustrations. Why don't we pray right now? Dear Lord, forgive us. Forgive us of our cynicism. Forgive us of being jaded. Forgive us, God, of thinking, why should we even bother? Forgive us of thinking, Lord, that it's not worth it. Lord, that your great commission, that your great call to love others, your greatest commandment, Lord, to love you first and to love others the way that we love ourselves. God, forgive us for not obeying any of that. Lord, I want to trust you. I want to believe in you. I want to hope more. I want my heart to be alive again. I want to trust in you. God, I pray that you renew our families and our homes, our workplaces. Renew us. Restore the sense of awe and wonder. Renew us in your spirit through the power of the gospel and the resurrection of hope within us today. God, we commit to focusing on your goodness, to meditating on your majestic ways, to lifting our eyes, elevating our gaze to you, and taking our eyes off the things of this world. We will give you the praise and we will give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, I'm calling you to trust again, to hope again, to believe again. I'm grateful that you're here tonight. I want you to know that we love you. We are praying for you. We believe in you. We are here for you. If there's anything you need, if you're new to us, fill out a contact card. We'd love to connect with you and support you in any way that we can. Have a great evening. We love you. God bless you.